This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. Hello. Hello, everyone. Hello, 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 hello. And welcome back to the now official, 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 official fourth episode of the Do Not Listen to This Podcast. I am your host, Sam LaCrosse. How are you, everyone? How are you? How are you? How are you? Ugh, that was gross. Um, so last week, we kind of just, we went through a review basically on, you know, self-love, self-lies, kind of how everybody wants to do you know, the whole self-love thing, but I don't think a lot of people do it right because they just kind of end up lying to themselves and get trapped in this, you know, vortex of self-improvement and taking action and doing all these things versus whatever. And it, and it kind of reminded me of something that I wrote about back in, uh, actually March 1st, a while back. So about um, when this post gets uploaded, probably about, I would say, a little more than 11 months ago, which is crazy because you know, it's hard to believe when you're, um, so if you guys don't know, I am doing basically how this podcast is going to work. I do two original posts that I write the week of and then transcribe into a podcast. And then the other two weeks of the month, I go back to an old post that I have on my blog and kind of transcribe it into a podcast format because I think, well, a couple things. One, I reference it a lot in my other ones. So a lot of my, in my new blog posts and therefore my new podcast won't really make sense without a lot of the former context behind a lot of this stuff. And this is where this one falls into. And additionally, it just kind of, you know, it sparks a lot of old ideas that I've had and kind of wrapping them out into something. And it's funny how they um, just kind of pop up into other topics. And so last week was kind of like, you know, taking action to, I would say, improve yourself. I would say a lot of the self-love stuff for me, at least it comes down to self-improvement and trying to get better as a person because when you truly love something, including yourself, I think you want it to get better most of the time. You don't want to totally overhaul and change it because I truly don't mean, or I do mean that that truly probably you don't actually love that thing if you want to just overhaul it and improve it. That improve it, that's by like just totally stripping it down and getting something new because that is kind of self-loathing and self-hatred, and I really don't think that's a very constructive solution either. And I don't think a lot of a lot of you do as well, but. So it kind of got me thinking about just the actions that we take in our lives. And I kind of wanted to go back to an older topic that I had visited a lot and I will be referencing a lot throughout the rest of this podcast and my blog and any of my other content that I put out there. And it's just the, um, the overall context of the culture that we live in today in terms of action. So our culture today is defined by action. 
I would say. It's defined by a lot of other things, I think, but I would say that action is one thing that really, really sets our culture apart from a lot of others in the world that are kind of more, I don't want to say passive, but kind of like, you know, laissez-faire, they go with the flow type of thing. And, you know, America is constantly like this, you know, pick yourself up by the bootstraps, we make things happen type of thing. And I think that that really has become baked into the American ethos in terms of how we live our lives and the people we look up to. Like we look up to a lot of entrepreneurs, we look up to a lot of athletes, we look up to a lot of people that start nonprofits, we look up to a lot of people that, you know, like our parents who go out and, you know, they meet people and they start families and they, you know, they make things happen at their work and with their own family and all that other stuff. So our culture today, I think largely to a degree is defined by action. So the steeled account executive walking up to his boss and demanding a raise. A woman walking up to her husband and telling him that she and that she doesn't like his eyes wandering went out for cocktails with their neighbors in the suburbs. The college student that decides he's had enough of the bad grades buckles down, actually studies for the midterm this time around to avoid the mediocre grades, all that jazz. So, and that's all fine. That's all fine and good to a large part. But I think there's another side of this. So, not nearly enough attention is paid to, in my opinion those who move in silence, the people that take action by choosing non-action, the ones that create opportunities out of the word no. Because, you know, let's face it, action isn't always the best course of action. And you don't really have to participate in anything in order to be, you know, aligned with what that cause is saying. This is, I think a lot of this is a problem with uh, a lot of the activist culture that's going around. So let's just say like, a person who isn't like blatantly on LinkedIn shouting about how great capitalism is isn't necessarily communist or socialist. And, you know, a person that didn't go to a Black Lives Matter rally doesn't isn't isn't a racist. I mean, I, I don't think that and that's another thing about absolutism. I'll get to that probably in another podcast later down the line. But I think a lot of people now are so quick to draw the lines between like what is good, what is bad, what is standing up for something. And I think not necessarily taking an action does not necessarily mean that you support or against a thing. It just kind of means that you are, you know, I hate to use the word passionate, but you're passionate about the thing you want to put yourself out there. But a lot of people are just kind of quiet people and they're kind of shy or they want to just kind of be by themselves. And I think we should let those people live their lives too. You know, the, um, like I said, action isn't always the best course of action. You don't have to participate in any anything or everything. You don't have to necessarily inhabit every behavior of every successful person. And that is kind of what the essence, a big part of what I kind of pointed out with this blog, and I kind of alluded it to in my intro podcast, my intro post way back when, over a year ago now. And that's just not what I'm here to tell you. It's the complete opposite of the intended message of the whole blog and the podcast. You only have to emulate what fits best for you, and everything else can basically be pretty much ignored because... You know, a lot of people, like, they, they look up to successful people, right? We all want to look up to successful people because we all want to be in a success in whatever that success means for us. However, the problem with that, when taken to such an extreme as you're going to do A, B, C, D, all the way down the alphabet line, about what this person did to get where this person is there and now, is that we really don't have the same track. We can't have the same, you know, perspective on life, the same situation growing up, the same family, the same... Um, you know, socioeconomic status, all this other stuff. And I think that's a, you know, we kind of just assume a lot of these things with people. Like we assume that just because a person is this, whether this is, it's a political affiliation, a socioeconomic status, a skin color, something that they kind of are supposed to support these things and act this way. And, you know, that common, you know, like not really malicious kind of identity politics, but that kind of condescending things where 
okay, you look this way, you talk this way, you are this way, you need to act this way and emulate this type of person. It's like, it's like no, like there's, it's just not, that's just not true in my opinion, because I think we miss when we look at those things, we miss really the kind of essence of the individual inside of the person. And I think that is where a lot of people go wrong with saying you need to do this because of this part about yourself. It's like, well, like, like, no, it's like, like, why? Like you need to look at the individual first and then maybe, may, and that's a strong maybe, maybe after that you can go to the cultural perception of what this person quote unquote should or should not be. Because let's face it, there's a lot of shit that people shovel that passes as good advice and, or passes as good advice. And from my experience, when people try to seep through all that shit, a lot of them fucking drown in it. And especially in the people of my generation, whether that's in college or whether that's young adulthood, all this other stuff. So I know so many people, and many of them good people, by the way, who see a proverbial shiny object and chase after it with no regard how this will truly affect them. That thing could help them in the short run, surely, but it could absolutely not knock them on their ass in the long run. So college kids and young adults are so overwhelmed with choices that they often bite off way more than they can chew, which sends them into basically a a kamikaze-style death spiral of overwhelmingness that will eventually lead them to burning out before even hitting the ground. Because, you know, we get overwhelmed by all of these things, you know, oh, you need to participate in this, you need to do this, you need to do that. You're just tugged in all of these different directions by variety. And variety is just, a lot of people think variety is a good thing, and I think they might confuse it with versatility, but I generally think variety is not good if you can't, if you don't have a control over the choice of the variety. Because if you can choose things from a lot of things, that's fine. But the problem is not a lot of people can do that because of drowning in the variety, like I said earlier. So what can fix this? Well, what do people use when they want clean, to drink clean water, or keep bugs out of the house, or prevent small children from throwing themselves through glass paneling like they always do when they want to run through the house and then they see a kid through the other side of the patio and then they do not know that the glass door is there and they run through and into the glass and they cry and they break something and all this other stuff. They use a filter, a screen, a net if these children are really intent on throwing themselves off of and through things. And I was one of them, so I know from firsthand experience this is actually a thing that happens. Um, so my question to all of you and my challenge to all of you is why don't we have one of these for our lives? So what's to prevent us from throwing ourselves through the glass paneling and shredding our skin with the glass shards of life's opportunities? And it's that magical word again. No, we don't use it enough or at least don't have a practical solution for its implementation into our lives. And so this podcast is intended to provide you with said practical solution as well as implementation tactics for your life. And I call this process the four don'ts. And its creation was honestly completely unintentional as it was just very simple guidelines for how I live my life. I think I was just kind of sitting down one day and I thought, you know, like I really don't like or think it's very good when a lot of people do this. I really don't think it's good that a lot of people think they can do this or this or this. And as I made decisions and as I became more independent when I went, especially into college and now that I'm, you know, a uh, quote unquote young professional, hashtag young professional, in um, urban America, I began to realize that all of these were tethered to my personal values. So, you know, being the kind of guy who likes to talk about this stuff and kind of, you know, framework, and I have a, like I said, I have like basically a fetish for short lists. I started to make a short list. And how I couldn't come to a consensus though. I saw that my actions that I was talking about were leading me down countless different things to write down, so much so that I could never consciously keep track of all of them. But then I flipped the script and saw a common trend, and that was the thing I mentioned before. All of them involved saying no to something. And looking at my list, they all seem to fit into four specific categories of saying no, 
which then became the four don'ts. And this method acts, at least as far as I can tell, and it's, I've been using it for some time now, as a great screening system for me and has led to a variety of good decisions across all spectrums of my life, which I'll go into more detail about later. The four don'ts are simple to understand, but not very easy to implement, like a lot of things in life. If you really dig down into yourself, they can severely alter your life for the better, at least in my opinion. It is that part, the digging deep, that is hardest for most. So We have a natural tendency to protect ourselves and our egos. And this methodology, however, requires us to twist the proverbial knife into our egos and dig out our pain points in order to make the necessary adjustments to improve ourselves. So, with that being said, let's get going. Try not to throw yourself into, through a real or hyperbolic glass door or window. Put up a screen, please. I beg of you. So, the four don'ts are as follows. Don't be fake. Don't be ignorant. Don't be a hypocrite. And don't be a victim. As I said before, very simple to understand, yet very hard to implement. So let's begin to, struct, to deconstruct them one by one to kind of see what they mean. So the first don't, don't be fake. So it's the classic, you're fake, exclamation point to start out this conversation. This being fake, however, is an incredibly seductive vice that a lot of people, especially the young and impressionable, fall into. The opposite of being fake is being true to who you are. That means knowing the truth about yourself, which is the good and the bad. It is essential to know yourself inside and out so you can weed out any and everything that doesn't align with who you are as a person. If you don't create a screening method to ward out the things that don't mesh with your personality right away, you invite those same things in to corrupt you, and therefore turn your head into a fucking mess of delusions about who you are and who you are not. Not being fake is the hardest don't of the four don'ts for a variety of reasons. The main reason that people are fake is that they're afraid of polarization. They don't want to ruffle feathers or rub anyone the wrong way. They want to fly straight and get along by going along. They believe that by not filtering anything out that doesn't align with them, they can land their mental boat at other people's mental ports and dock it any way they please. But the, this could not be further from how humans actually work. And one of the most enlightening things that I've learned from reading Mark Manson, who is my favorite author, thought leader, writer out there, he wrote The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck in his books, and he has an audio book that came out last year, which is tremendous. And I recommend all of his work on his blog, markmanson.net. So one of the most enlightening things that I've learned about Mark's work is that there is immense value in polarization, which is most accurately described in his relation book entitled Models, which was made before Subtle Art was came out, I think in 2016. And basically, the, the story behind this is that Mark was a dating advice kind of guy. I don't know if he would call himself a guru, but he was just kind of some guy that would help people. He ran like a consulting business and then he worked from like 55 countries across the world and, you know, blogged about it and did all this stuff. And he published a book about it, which I found very, very helpful. So, you know, guys, if you want, especially guys, if you want a great book about relationships, it really isn't full of, you know, the bullshit and all the other stuff models by Mark Manson, I think is a phenomenal way to start because I think that's a really, really solid start, especially with our, you know, it's like kind of tailored towards our demographics. So guys models by Mark Manson, it's on Amazon. It's pretty cheap. I would go out and recommend getting it. So Mark Manson models. So back to the topic at hand. So Mark Manson states that in order to attract what you want in life, you inherently must be polarizing. You must be so set into who you are as a person, what you are willing to accept and not accept, and what you are willing to value and not value, that you will let nothing come into your presence that can affect those things. An example from my own personal experience that goes hand in hand with this is my relationship with alcohol and drugs. So one of my, this is a story I tell all the time, it still makes me laugh to this day. So one of my, the most vivid memories of child, my childhood is when from I was about 10 years old. So 
I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio for those, or not Cleveland, Ohio, but a suburb outside of Cleveland, Ohio for those of you who do not know me personally. And um, so we kind of were a, we weren't, at this point, I kind of moved to a town that was, you know, more farmland, kind of, you know, middle class that kind of grew. And now it's a really pretty upscale middle class town. But my dad kind of, when he grew up, and my, my mom, really, they kind of grew up in a town that was like near it, but was kind of a lot of farms and a lot of manufacturing, a lot of salt of the earth, you know, meat and potatoes type of people. And so that meant every weekend there were no, I always tell people there were no Saturday morning cartoons in our house. Like we always would go out and we would be working in the yard. We would be cleaning up the house. We'd be helping my dad with something. We'd be helping my mom with something. We would be doing something outside where we would not be like the stereotypical, like I said, relaxing, doing nothing on a Saturday. We would watch college football because we're big Ohio State fans, but we would go out and we would work in the yard. We would work on Saturdays. So it was a Saturday and my dad had been working out in the yard like he usually did. And it was mid-afternoon and I was in the kitchen probably derping around looking for Scooby-Doo fruit snacks or something of the like. And my dad, you know, he, so, so he comes into the kitchen. So he comes in the kitchen and he gets a glass of water and he's, you know, sweating his ass off. He's, you know, out, you know, probably digging a fucking trench in the back of the yard or something that my dad does when he's, when he wants to do something in the house. And so a lot of you guys probably don't know my dad. Some of you might in the slight form or fashion, or you've heard me talk about him, but my dad's an incredibly intense individual. He's not, he's no nonsense. And his rule was pretty absolute. He was really tough on me and my siblings growing up, but you know, I don't want to portray him as this kind of like, you know, red foreman type of disciplinarian guy because he was also very intense in the other direction. So he loved us really much and he did everything in his power to help us succeed in whatever we chose to do. He was very dedicated to his family, very dedicated to his wife, very dedicated to his children. And, but however, as a kid who didn't have much outside perspective on his methodology, it was very hard to distinguish between the two, especially when I was only 10 years old. I just kind of took everything he said as, holy fuck, I hope he doesn't yell at me for something again. And to my point, the words that came out of his mouth became etched in my brain to this very day. So he comes in, I'm just kind of chilling out in the kitchen. I don't really know where any of my, my, fa my family was. You know, she was coming in, he gets a glass of water. I think he was like cutting the grass or something. So he, um, so he gets, uh, he gets a glass of water out. He, you know, puts it, you know, gets some ice, throws it in the cup and puts it under the tap and, you know, gets some water and starts drinking. He just kind of, you know, he, so he drinks most of the glass. He kind of just chugs the whole thing. And then he, you know, kind of puts down, he does like the whole dad thing where they go Ugh, after he, you know, does the whole, you know, chugging the glass of water thing. And so he looks right at my face and says, Samo, if you ever come home drunk or on drugs, I will put your head through the kitchen wall. And so he just casually, he gulps down the last bit of water, put his cup in the sink and then went, out, went outside to just keep working. And I nearly shit myself at that moment. I was like, oh my God, like, what did I do to deserve that? Just drop the mic in front of me, just walk away. But I mean, it worked. I was absolutely terrified of that premise. My dad, other than being in very intense, was very in shape. And this is before my knowledge of two by fours and drywall, but I sure as hell believed he would do what he said. Because I mean, obviously you cannot put your head through a kitchen wall. I mean, there, like I said, there are two by fours behind there. There's drywall there. I mean, you could try. So, but I mean, you probably wouldn't be successful. So I left the room as wide eyed as ever and made it my life's mission to not get my head put through the kitchen wall. And later, uh, hilariously enough, I found out that my, from my parents that the inspiration behind that faithful message was that my dad's brother, who was older than him had gone on a bit of wild streak in high school, came home drunk one night. My grandpa, who apparently had a temper that really hasn't been seen since Lawrence Taylor left the NFL in the 1980s, grabbed my uncle by the hair and threatened to slam his head into the wall with my grandma wailing at him to stop. So that's classic 1980s Midwestern discipline for you. So 
So the only underage drinking that I participated in before my dad said it was okay that I did so was a swig of wine and a jello shot at a football fundraiser when I was a junior in high school and I was shitting bricks for the next three weeks after. I've gotten drunk on weekends and, and you know on a weeknight in college less times than I can count on one hand before my senior year. And I've never consumed a drug including cigarettes, vapes, jewels, whatever nicotine product kids are smoking nowadays, all that other stuff. That hasn't been prescribed to me by a medical doctor in my entire life. And this obviously could lead to some complications. Because practically everyone, everyone I know smokes or gets drunk on the regular. All my friends, with the exception of maybe two regular, participate in these activities. And it prevented me from getting into a frat because I didn't want to go to an environment where I wanted to be uncomfortable. Plus, you know, a lot of other bad shit was happening with the fraternity life and Greek life in my school, so I didn't want to be there anyway. But it removed me from a lot of social situations where this stuff was at, both in high school, college, after work. You get, you know, you would think I would feel excluded, right? You know, throughout all this stuff, you would kind of really, you know, want to be, you know, part of the in crowd, be all this stuff. So you would think, you know, if I was so rigid in this sense of who I was as a person that I would be, you know, kind of down in the dumps, I would feel excluded, all this other stuff. But that actually wasn't the case. Because even though my dad had threatened to put my head through a kitchen wall, I knew that what he was saying was the only surefire way to go down a bad path in life. By simply not knowing what it was like to consume those substances, I simply didn't care or value them enough to make it that big of a deal. And it became part of my authentic personality. So when you apply don't be fake, you will be completely comfortable and okay with who you are as a person, if you indeed truly know yourself. If you're not fake, you won't give a shit about the stuff that is fake. You'll only pay attention to what is real in your estimation. Everything outside of that is white noise. By knowing that this was a part of my authentic personality, I unknowingly allowed myself to attract into my life people who either thought the same way or respected my decision to not partake in these activities. They wanted to fuck with me for who I was, and that, that was what I really wanted. It's what everyone should want. People to respect you for who you are, not you who you proclaim yourself to be. Because let's face it, if I joined a social setting where all we did was drink and smoke all the time, I would come off like a fucking fraud. Because I would be a fucking fraud. If you don't believe something that is aligned to what you really enjoy and like, then the answer is simple. Screen it out. It's dead to you, in the words of Kevin O'Leary. You don't have to participate, and that's that. I go to a lot of concerts when in you know before COVID, obviously. So I one of the things I'm a pretty tightly wound person, and one of the few things that gets me to relax is going to concerts and live music and things like that. You know, so I go to a lot of concerts, and you know I see a lot of you know rappers and hip hop artists and things like that. So I mean, people at those concerts, if you have been to them, they indulge in the substances, if you will. And I've probably been second high, hand high a bunch of times. And I remember sitting on a table at four in the morning outside of a dorm, dorm sophomore year with a box of canes and a bunch of friends passing around joints like 50 feet from a dorm. And I think about five campus cop, cop cars passes every 20 minutes. But I mean, did I care? No. I mean, they were doing what was authentic to them and I was doing what was authentic to me. And the two most important traits I believe you should look for in a person are authenticity and self-awareness. If people choose the path of don't be fake, then you should be able to see this right away. If you're authentic, you won't let anything inauthentic penetrate your energy. If you're self-aware, you know what to screen out. Like I said, simple, but not easy. But once it's implemented, it makes all the difference. And just, you know, uh, to comment on the Mark Manson thing, for all the guys out there, don't front and fake when it comes to impressing women at the bar. You'll be blown away by how quickly they see through that shit. I have a lot of female friends. They've called me out on it a bunch of times. They've called guys on it a bunch of times. Just, just that is kind of the caveat for all this stuff. So just don't be fake, everyone. That's the first don't. So the second don't is don't be ignorant. So ignorance is a very loaded word and one that needs to be set up and constructed in a way that does it justice. Ignorant, according to the dictionary, means destitute of knowledge or education. So by the very fact that I've, I was going to say, what was I going to, where was I going to go with that? So 
Um, so that's the definition of what ignorant is. So this don't is kind of, you know, I know a lot of people will probably say, well, you know, like if you haven't smoked weed, if you haven't done, you know, all this other stuff, you know, all this, what do you have to lecture us on, you know, not being anything? Well, first of all, I'm not lecturing you on doing that stuff. I said, I don't care if it's authentic to you. I don't really care. Go ahead and do it. So by the very fact that I'm admitting to never smoking weed and not knowing what that high is like, I'm actually not being ignorant to the situation. By admitting that I've never smoked, I'm opening myself up. I never said that weed was inherently bad for you. I'm more than willing to be educated on the subject. And I've had conversations with people who've taught me things about drugs that I would never expect it. And most of the music I listen to glorifies the stuff anyway. And, you know, like my best friends, like they all are indulged in the substances. You know, they're not fiends or addicts or anything, but I mean, they indulge like most people do. So, and so this don't is simply referring to keeping an open mind. Don't be closed off to any perspective just because it isn't shared by you. Learn to meet it somewhere in the middle and have productive dialogue afterwards. But this is not telling you to have no opinions and to be wishy-washy. Those people are the worst, and I would highly encourage you to not be one of them. However, you should only form an opinion about a person or subject after you have sufficiently looked into what that person or subject stands for or is talking about. So it's not just ignorance that you should stand against. That's too broad of a definition. It is willful ignorance that you should not indulge in. You should not simply make assessments or judgments about things or people without being informed about what it is these people truly stand for. And there's a scene in uh, Star Wars Revenge of the Sith that emphasized this perfectly. So I'm, a, I'm a, the biggest closeted Star Wars nerd you'll, you'll find, so just indulge my nerdery for like two seconds. So in the climax of Revenge of the Sith, which is the best movie, by the way, if you want a, you know the quick hit of the best Star Wars movie, it's number three, Revenge of the Sith. So in the climax of the film, Anakin Skywalker's turn against the Jedi Order, good guys for all my non-Star Wars folks, and has become Darth Vader, a Lord of the Sith, which are the bad guys. So through the corruption of his evil master, the evil master has forced Anakin's hand in a variety of atro atrocious activities, including the slaughter of the majority of the Jedi Order, the good guys, and personally genociding all of the Jedi children, which was an abhorrent activity, obviously. The reason that Anakin's arm was able to be twisted into doing these horrible acts is that was, he was being corrupted by his master into thinking that his wife was going to die if he didn't switch over to the dark side. But there was a fundamental problem with this. How could Anakin have known that his wife was going to die? Did he have any proof? Any evidence? Medical records? I bet they had more, much more advanced medical technology in the Star Wars universe, I might add. And the answer is no, he didn't. He simply blindly took another man's words and went with it, offering no aspiration to get knowledge other than the stream of horseshit he was getting fed. So, taking his word at face value, Anakin forewent 13 years of training and study and flipped the switch like it was nothing, which led to a massive trail of devastation in his wake. So, when his old master, Obi-Wan Kenobi, calls him out on this, Anakin replies, If you're not with me, then you're my enemy. And that was the point that Obi-Wan realized that Anakin was truly gone. So then he responds, Only a Sith deals in absolutes. I will do what I must. Obi-Wan realized in that moment that Anakin had given in to ignorance. Only a truly ignorant person could just flippantly disavow another side of the aisle like it was nothing. The sad part is that we do this too often in our culture. Democrats are commies, Republicans are robber baron racist, Islam is built on the foundations of evil, Christianity champions death and devastation. There's thousands of these ignorant statements that I just won't acknowledge past the four. But, so I am here to tell you, believe it or not, that not all Democrats are commies, not all Republicans are robber baron racist, not all Muslims are foundationally evil, not all Christians champion death and devastation. That's simply too broad of a generalization to apply each of the categories. So I had a similar moment when I learned a little bit more about the environmentalism movement in college. Now, I'm not one of these crazy, we're going to die in 12 years people, but I've learned enough through self-education and some friends who are far more educated on the subject than I, than I that it's definitely something we, we should be, that should be managed and paid attention to. 
it'll never be my biggest concern or cause that I support because I value other things more than I will ever value environmentalism. However, I'm not going to simply disavow it as unimportant either. That's willful, the willful ignorance that I was talking about earlier. So when you apply don't be ignorant in your life, it allows you to meet people where they are. It allows you to begin to understand the differences among people and work to coexist with them. And, perhaps most importantly, it allows you to help people with their problems because you're simply not disavowing them. When you allow yourself to open your mind and create opportunities to meet people at the ideological center, it will allow more fulfilling and peaceful interaction with others. Plus, in one of the above scenarios I described above, someone gets both his both legs and his arms chopped off as all the flesh burned off his body, left to die at the banks of a lava river on a faraway planet until he's eventually sewn together with no painkillers and imprisoned in a life-sustaining stoop for the rest of his days. And I won't tell you which example that is, but it's probably not me with the environmentalism movement. So, spoiler alert, non-spoiler alert there. So the third don't is don't be a hypocrite. And I'm pretty sure everyone on this earth hates hypocrites, and that's good because we all hate ourselves then too, because we're all hypocritical to a certain extent, and that's fine. Humans speak a minimum of 7,000 words a day. We're bound to contradict ourselves sometimes because we just can't control it. Our words just roll off the tongue like crazy sometimes. Where we go wrong is when we let it get out of control and start being hypocritical on purpose so that it only benefits us. Hypocrisy is a tricky thing to deal with. We live in a time where we say and believe so many things in sub such subconscious fashion that we have a genuine tendency of forgetting sometimes that we even said. That's where a lot of this trouble comes into play, and that's where we can make the biggest adjustment in correcting ourselves to suck less. There's a phenomenal video that circulates throughout social media where the creator took different sp clips of sports commentator Skip Bayless, spliced them together, and had him essentially debate himself because he went back on his words so much. And it was fantastic It show because it shows how crazy it is easy it is to do especially when you exist in an environment that can become very heated very quickly because Skip Bayless, if for those of you who do not know him, is a debate commentator. He goes against uh, Shannon Sharp, who's a phenomenal debater himself, and they can get pretty heated in a lot of things, so they can say things they don't mean, obviously. So a big example of this in my personal life stems from an issue between me and my mom. My mom is an incredibly, not conservative in the political sense, but she is very careful with how she dresses, how she acts, what she says. She holds herself to a very high standard, and she values that standard that she holds herself to, as she should, because she's a tremendous woman, and she likes to hold herself to a particular standard. So I don't know if conservative is the right word, but she just kind of is very particular with how she acts and conducts herself. So, however, this has caused multiple problems with her and I in our relationship, because I constantly viewed and still view her as an extent as a very uptight to a degree where she took enjoyment out of things. And, you know, a good example of this is when, um, so I can't watch the movie Step Brothers because I made the horrible mistake of watching the movie Step Brothers with my mom and we made it through about half the movie together and I just kind of paused the thing and said, Mom, do you really want to watch the rest of this? And she said no and I said no and then we kind of just turned it off and then we, you know, I, I still can't watch the damn thing without cringing all the way through so that, you know, it ruined the movie for me. But, and, you know, about three months into last year to further on this point, she told me that she doesn't read my blog. She says, I swear too much in it and she'll never lend her support or she won't lend her support to something that she believes is doing me a disservice. Now she's kind of gone back on this and she kind of is, you know, I talk about my blog a lot and I obviously I do it a lot now on my podcast. So she does, to her credit, she goes back and does listen to me. And so, but originally when I heard this, I was, you know, in my mind, you know, well, what the, you know, what, what mom, like what, what, what the hell, you know, what, what, like, what the fuck, like, why won't you support my writing? My, you know, I thought this was really good. You know, what the hell, you know, I said probably fucking my head a bunch of times again. Sorry, mom. But 
After the anger and petty internal swearing subsided, I thought about it some more. What I was asking my mom to do was go against what she valued more than she values most other things, which is the standard that she sets for herself. As I've said many times, we'll continue to say many times, that your values are the main traits that define you as a person, and you should never break them for anyone if they're truly good values. So, really, at the end of the day, who in the hell was I to tell my mom that she couldn't live her values how she wanted to? So, survey says, Steve Harvey voice, I couldn't, and I can't, because I would be a hypocrite if I did so. Did it still irk me in a little that my mom won't read some of my blog posts? Sure it does. I want to please my mom. I want to make her proud, but I'm not going to force it on her because that's the exact opposite of what I want to happen. So when you adopt don't be a hypocrite, it allows you to not go back on your word and maintain a level of trust with people. It allows other people to have confidence to reciprocate that trust and confide in you, which then lends itself to fostering more meaningful relationships with people with whom you are close to. This trust and confidentiality leads to depth, which, with the right people, can create really great moments in mutualistic relationships that can benefit all who are involved. So, and also, if you're with your mom and you have the urge to watch a highly inappropriate movie with just the two of you, just just say no. Trust me, just just say no. So, the fourth and final don't is don't be a victim. And I've written about victimhood before. I've talked about victimhood before, and I'll continue to talk and write about it. But, and it's a big problem when done in a false context because you know, fun fact: the don't four don'ts is originally just the three don'ts until I added this one. You know, back when I before I wrote this post, and now I'm telling it to you guys now. And I think it's very important that we all look ourselves in the mirror and do the same. As I've said before, and I will say again, most quote unquote victims in our culture really aren't victims at all. They're just victims of their own mindsets. No one is as big of a victim as they are in their own mind. No one including me, and I'll get to that later. Yet people around the country spend so much time being victims for causes that they have no affiliation to, getting offended on behalf of other people, throwing stuff at people who quote-unquote oppress people in the street, pouring colored milk on themselves at political rallies, etc. It's, it's just weird fucking shit. It's, it's, it's really bizarre, to be honest with you. I just can't, I don't understand it. So it takes true strength to not victimize yourself when you have no reason to do so. False victimization is weakness, plain and simple. Two great examples of this in the culture are Frank Ocean, widely regarded as the greatest R&B singer of our generation, although that's, again, false because The Weeknd is the best R&B singer of our generation, and Sid Bennett, which is the lead singer of the alternative hip-hop band The Internet, and she's phenomenal too. So both are homosexual, and both are leading figures in their fields. Additionally, both are instrumental in the hip-hop collective Odd Future. So Odd Future, for those who weren't on the bandwagon back in the day in about like 2009, was known as the most heinous and wild show in the history of modern music, with wildly offensive and violent tar lyrics that targeted various groups of people ruthlessly. It was run by Tyler the Creator and all this other stuff, and you know they were both a part of it with you know Left Brain and Earl Sweatshirt and all these other people. So for just for shits, let's just list off some of the things they did. So they had a song that was called "Kill People, Burn Shit, Fuck School." Tyler the Creator, the then leader of the group spit the lines, raped a pregnant bitch and told my bitch to have a threesome, or my friends I had a threesome, and crashed that fucking airplane that that F-A-G-G-O-T N-word Bob was in and stabbed Bruno Mars in his goddamn esophagus and won't stop until the cops come in. And they were banned from headlining an Eminem show in Auckland, New Zealand for allegedly threatening to, threatening to incite a riot and telling their fans to attack the police. So obviously very charming things to a lot of people, and I'm very happy I did not butcher that because there's a lot of bad words in there that I, I don't really like to say. So additionally, they repeatedly mocked and ridiculed homosexuals ruthlessly, as evidenced by the past lyrics and in other of their songs, even though two of their most prominent and successful members were homosexuals. So 
The question is, why did Frank Ocean and Sid Bennett not leave the group when they were being obviously attacked by the people inside of their group? And it's because, in my opinion, they didn't want they didn't want to. They just didn't want to leave. They didn't want to see themselves as victims. You know, say what you want about Odd Future, but when they were together, they were a brotherhood like few have ever seen. They had genuine love for each other. Sid has said it that numerous times that Odd Future members weren't homophobic, but they were simply young kids doing stupid shit to get attention, and she didn't really care. As all young kids do, they just do stupid shit and we have to forgive them because they're young kids and they don't know what they're saying a lot of the times because kids can be cruel without knowing that they're being cruel. This doesn't excuse their actions for being out of pocket, but it doesn't mean that you have to take them all to heart either, you know, because Tyler the Creator actually came out as gay later. Or we don't really, I, there's a conspiracy theory that he's not gay or he is gay or something like that, but I don't know. So... An example from my personal life that fits this category well is when I found out that I didn't get into my dream university initially. I had all the grades and test scores to get in, but they still didn't choose me over others. I was heartbroken and pissed off, but when I should have internalized that anger and looked in the mirror, I did the exact opposite. I looked everywhere else. I blamed the university for re reverse discriminating against me because I lack diversity. I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, a middle-class white kid from the suburbs, so they must have used that against me, right? Or maybe they just took a foreign exchange student or a kid from out of state because they can get more money from, money from them, right? And the answer is, you know, perhaps. You know, and with the current state of higher education systems, I wouldn't doubt about it at all. But that didn't change the fact that I still didn't get in. I wasn't good enough in their standards, and I had to own that. I wasn't going to change my circumstances by victimizing myself and moping around all over the place. So, after initial pettiness, I relented bound my decision to go to another university and switch back to my original intent. I went to a satellite campus in the middle of nowhere and eventually transferred over in a year and all was well. Nothing really big had happened because of it and I wasn't nearly a big of a victim as I was in my own mind. When you adopt Don't Be a Victim, you automatically take control and power over your circumstances. You don't become imprisoned by other people's opinions of you. You take ownership of your life and therefore can sculpt whatever you want out of those perceptions. You become the master of your fate and the captain of your soul and nothing can touch you. Except if you're a policeman in Auckland, New Zealand, and not future concert, and then look out for shoes, rotten fruit, you know, people chucking, you know, yelling, kill people, burn shit, fuck school, everything. So, the bottom line is, in the use of the four don'ts, you autom become automatically immune to the most difficult decisions coming your way. Lean on them and fall back on them. They work, if you're really honest with yourself. Because remember, it's not always action that solves things, but inaction that results you ultimately solving the problems that can truly create value. So... That is kind of what I wanted to say about the terms of, you know, the activist culture, action culture, all that other stuff that's going on. I think there's value in saying no, I really do. And I think, you know, just when you look, when you have a decision to make or you have, you know, the option to be involved in something or whatever, just take some time to really take a look at what you believe to be right and what you believe to be true. So I'll leave you with that this weekend, the four don'ts. Have a great weekend, everyone. Great week ahead. Own the day. Open your mind. See you next week. Bye, everyone. Stopping, hopping like a rabbit When I take the Nino Ross, you know I got to have it I lay back in the cut, retain myself Think about the shit and I think it well How can I make my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?